Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Till death do us part, week three. This is the final week of this series, Till Death Do Us Part. The first week we looked at the commitment that Abraham had to honor his wife Sarah, even in her death. And I told you that when you have stuck it out through good times and bad times, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, then you will want to love and cherish them even in their death. The second week was about submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I told you that if you want to love your spouse to death, then you you must first die to yourself. When you put your spouse first, you will reap the harvest of the seed that you plant. And so today we will close out this series. People get married every day. Every day people get married. One study that I read this past week said that that 2.3 million couples get married in the U.S. every year. 2.3 million couples every year. That's nearly 6,200 weddings a day. 6,200 weddings a day. That means that right now, as I'm speaking, someone somewhere is getting married. As I'm talking right now, they're getting married. Another report that I recently read said that 4,153,237 people got married last year. Again, that number is 4,153,237. 153,237 people got married last year. And and I don't know if that was in the U.S. or if that's worldwide. And to be honest with you, I don't really care. I'm not concerned about the geography of where these weddings are at. Um, That doesn't trouble me. It's the number that troubles me because they reported that 4,153,237 people got married. And I really don't care about all the numbers except for the last one. The seven. It's an odd number. <laughs> it takes two to tango. Are, are you with me? Is any, I mean, you're, you're looking at me like deer in the headlights right now. Do you, do you understand the problem that I have with this? How is it that 4,153,237 people got married last year? I, the mysteries of all of that. There was this man that went to the doctor. And he was concerned about his wife's hearing. She had some hearing loss and... And the doctor said, he said, I want to I give you a test to try at home. He said, I want you to stand across the room from her when her back is to you. And he says, I want you to say something to her. And if she doesn't hear you, then I want you to step a little closer. Gradually get closer to her and then tell me how far apart you are when she actually hears the words that you're saying. So the man goes home. He sees his wife in the kitchen and she's cutting carrots at the countertop. Her back is to him. And so he takes the opportunity. He's about 15 feet away from her. And he says across the room, honey, what's for dinner? Nothing. Silence. He gets about halfway across the room and, and, and he says, honey, what's for dinner? Nothing. She didn't say a word. He gets right behind her and he says, what's for dinner? She turns around and says, for the third time, beef stew. Marriage takes a little understanding and a whole lot of grace, doesn't it? I said marriage takes a little understanding and a whole lot of grace. Today as we wrap this series up, I want to give you the best formula that I have for marriage. I'm not saying that it's the only formula. I'm telling you it's the best one that I have. And in closing out this series, I want to throw this at you. I want to give this to you today. Mark chapter 10, 
verses 1 through 9. Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. Mark chapter 10 and verse 1 reads, And he left there, and he went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote, this, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. This story is echoed in Matthew chapter 19, where Matthew records this encounter also. But understand, church, that this was not a new concept. The words that Jesus was speaking here, these were not new. This was established by the words of God at the beginning of humanity. And so we turn back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. And it reads, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. While he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said... This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Uh, I picture this, this situation in the Garden of Eden where God brings every animal to pass by in front of Adam and I don't know if it, if it went quite like this, but, but I'm just wondering in his mind if Adam is, is thinking, is this who I will spend the, the rest of my life with? As this rhinoceros passes in front of me, is, is this what you have for me, God? As the kangaroo jumps by, is, is this my mate? You know, and, and I know it's, it's sick. I know, I know it's m my mind. But, but finally, finally, God says, I will make him a, a helper that's fit for him. And Adam marveled at how glorious God made her. She was like him, but yet she was different than him. I can't imagine how Adam felt knowing that God had specifically made someone just for him. But it's interesting to me that in this scripture that God instructs husbands and wives to leave their parents before there were even any parents to begin with. Did you notice that? Adam and Eve were not born. They were created. They didn't have parents. And they had not yet had children, so they were not parents. And so 
The concept of parents and parenting is a foreign concept at this moment, yet God makes sure that we understand that a man should leave his father and his mother. This teaches us that marriage comes before our parents. Somebody needs to get this today. Somebody needs to receive this. Marriage comes before our parents. Marriage comes before our parenting. Therefore, we should always choose our spouse before family. Today, I want to give you three musts for every marriage. Three musts for every marriage. These are things that you must do if you want to go the distance with your marriage. The first one is this. You must leave, not your spouse. You must leave your parents. Listen to what Jesus said again in Mark 10 and 7. He said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Genesis 2 and 24 God said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Even the apostle Paul reiterated this concept in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 31 when he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Sometimes, especially early on in marriage, young couples make the dangerous mistake to include extended family into their personal drama. And I'm I'm about to save some marriages in this room today by the grace of God. Young couples, you listen to me today. I promise you, if you will listen to what I'm telling you, I'm going to save you from a whole lot of heartache down the road. In order for your marriage to last, you must learn to leave your parents and your extended family. It does not mean that you can't go over to their house for dinner. But you eat dinner, you hang out, you drink a cup of coffee, and then you go home to your bed, okay? It's it's not meant for you to live at mom and dad's house after you say, I do. I know tough times can hit. I understand that. I know that there may be situations where you, you and your husband or you and your wife move in with parents for a season, maybe to save some money. But, but listen, if, if it's just part of survival for you, then, then you need to figure something else out because you're not meant to live under that roof with them. You need to have your life and you need to learn to leave your parents. Uh, early on in our marriage, Mandy and I, we, we were having some, some tough times, rough times. And to be honest with you, I was working too much. She was nagging too much. And, and it created this horrible atmosphere that when we were together, we didn't want to be together. And, and I would walk in the door and all she would want to do is start nagging about, you know, you're never here. And I would say, well, I'm here now. But, and so she wanted to talk about why aren't you here all the time? And so we would just get in this cycle of, of just arguing. And so Mandy decided that she wanted to confide in her father. Have you ever met the man? I mean, why? Why? So she confides in her father and she told him everything that I was not doing right, everything that I was doing wrong. And in that conversation, she tells her dad, I don't think we're going to last. I don't think we're going to make it. Now, I like to pick on my father-in-law a lot. He was here in first service. I like to pick on him a lot. In many of my sermons, he's, he's the butt of my jokes. And when he's not the butt of a joke, he's just a butt. <laughs> and he shook his head and agreed with me in first service. But honestly, he's, he's not that bad of a guy. One of the greatest things that he ever did early in our marriage is after that conversation he told my wife he said you and Rocky need to sit down and talk 
He said, you'll either talk together now or you'll sit down in front of a judge and you'll talk about divorce. My father-in-law then did what so many parents need to learn to do, and it's hard. I know. I know this is tough. My father-in-law politely excused himself from our problems with each other, and he never returned to our problems. He's still a part of our lives. But my father-in-law made a decision that day and made it known to my wife, this isn't where I need to be. I should not be included in the problems that you and Rocky are having. And I can honestly say that since that day, we have left our families out of our personal drama. And that does not mean that we're absent from personal drama. We have it. We have our disagreements. We have our arguments. We have our good days and we have our bad days. But we made a decision that we were no longer going to include our problems in conversations with our extended family members. And those of you that have gone through pre premarital counseling with me, you understand this because I, I've taught this to you. But the danger is that your extended family members, they will pick sides and they don't have the same opportunity to work it out as you and your spouse do. Think about this. Let's say you, you go out to lunch with, with your mom. And I'm not just talking about the women in the room because I know there's some mama's boys in here too, right? So you go out to lunch with your mom and... While you're at lunch, you, you, just, you just unload. I mean, it's just, it's, you just verbally just throw up all of your problems from your marriage all over the table. I mean, it's just, Mom, let me just tell you how awful he is. Let me just tell you how, how much of a nag that she is. And you just lay it all out there. And, and, and usually what happens is that that mom or that father, they, they are going to listen and empathize with you. Let me tell you something about empathy. Empathy is a great tool, but it is also a dangerous weapon. And they'll empathize with you. And they'll take sides. Because what father doesn't want to protect his daughter? What mother doesn't want to protect her son or her daughter? I, I mean, they are going to pick sides because you just laid out one side of the argument. But I'm right. Listen, you may be right, but you don't need to build some force, uh, uh, some army behind you to see it your way. The only one that you need fighting for you is God Almighty. You need Him speaking life into this situation, not parents that are very biased, picking sides. So you unload on your mom. You get home that night, and you and your, your husband or you and your wife, you're, you're watching TV, and your favorite sitcom comes on. All of a sudden, you both find yourselves laughing at the same joke that's on the TV. You know, Ross says, we were on a break for the hundredth time, and, and you find yourselves laughing about it. You know, you kind of cut your eyes across the room as you're laughing. You're like, are we laughing together? I don't know. This is, this is, this is weird, but, but we're finding common ground. Then all of a sudden, your two-year-old son comes running in from his bedroom. He is butt naked, and he comes right in front of the TV, and he just shakes his little butt right at both of you before he runs out of the room. It's cute when they're two, not when they're 16. But, but it happens. It happens. 
and you both start laughing about it. And you find common ground in that moment. And what happens is you find healing in that laughter. You find healing in that common ground. But your extended family members that don't live under your roof, they don't have the same opportunity to find that common ground. And so they're holding grudges. They look at your spouse as the enemy when all of a sudden you've created them as an ally. And now you can't even be honest with your parents about who they really are. It's the reason why Jesus would say it's, it's for this reason that you are to leave your father and your mother. I'm telling Caleb this right now. I'm like, son, you're getting married. You're getting out. I don't care where you go, but you got to go. You can't stay here. Get out, son. <laughs> I, I just want to add this, this one caveat here because I think this is important. Don't include your extended family unless you're being abused. If you're being abused, then, then you run to whoever can help. But for most of us in the room, that's not the case. And in order to live in the marriage that God intended for you to have, you must let the dependency on your parents die. One more thing about that. Don't get upset when your mother-in-law keeps sticking her nose in your business about everything in your life when y'all are, are living week to week off her support. Because you've basically given her the right to speak into your marriage and, and, and to make decisions because she's financially supporting you or, or your father-in-law is financially supporting you. Learn to fend for yourselves. I know that tough times hit and, 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 and emergency situations, I get all that. But if you are living week to week, month to month, depending on them, something is wrong and you need to learn to support yourselves and, and get out from underneath that support think about this if jesus left his father in heaven to pursue his bride why shouldn't we listen to the king james version genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh there's that word cleave so we're commanded to leave and to cleave now, I leaned over at my wife during the first session on Friday night at the marriage conference before anyone got up to preach one word, because this happens to me every year. We have, I don't know how many, 40 couples or something from the church. I don't know how many were there. And, and this always happens. I know, you know the majority of them are going to be in church on Sunday morning right after we've just heard teaching all weekend. I leaned over to my wife before anyone said a word from the, from the, the, the stage, and I said, I'm going to go ahead and tell you so that I have a witness Sunday, I'm preaching on leaving and cleaving. Before anybody else says anything from that stage, I'm letting you know. And we made it through the whole, the whole conference. I mean, we, nobody had said a word. And I'm like, yes, until the very last session. It was like the last 30 minutes of the entire conference. Somebody has to bring it up. The, the speaker brought it up. But he didn't stay there very long, so I'm thankful for that. Cleave. It's not a word that we use in our, our everyday vernacular. I mean, this is not a word that's common to us, to cleave. The word that the King James Version translates as cleave can also be translated as join, cling, unite, hold fast, or hold on to. We know that this word in part, that it is a sexual image. A husband and wife should be physically joined together, becoming one flesh. Now, parents, calm down in the room. Before you grab those ears, just listen to me. It's not my job 
to teach your kids about the birds and the bees so you can relax. But you better teach them before they spread their wings and find that honey is all I'm saying, okay? So that's your job, parents. You jump on that. But then the Bible continues. Listen to what it says. The Bible continues and says that after we leave, cleave, become one flesh, okay? So we leave, we cleave, we become one flesh. The Bible says that they were both naked and they were not ashamed. There's so much power to this. I'll suggest to you that nakedness is not just the absence of clothing. It's not what it's just about. It's about creating an environment for both partners to be vulnerable in. When couples are, are naked and not ashamed, they have grown to trust each other even in their most intimate and vulnerable situations. And, and so they'll do things like this. They, they will talk to each other when they are frustrated at work and they've been overlooked for, for a position. They've been overlooked again for that raise. And their feelings of inadequacy does not keep them from opening up to each other. So they come home from work in this safe environment. And they both feel the freedom to express their innermost thoughts and their fears to one another. And so there's this vulnerability that takes place. Therefore, communication takes place. In that vulnerable environment, they share their dreams about having children even when they are struggling to get pregnant. They're not afraid to talk about it because they'll talk about it together. They'll cry about it together. And in, vulner in a vulnerable state, they will even pray about it together. They'll be honest with each other about their aging parents and the inconvenience that comes with that, but also the overwhelming responsibility that they have to care for them. And in that vulnerable place of being naked and not ashamed, they'll still be in love when the hair starts to turn loose and body parts begin to sag. I messed up during first service. I completely messed up. because I said something along the lines of that day that Mandy came to me and said, I weigh the most I've ever weighed in my life. And I just caught myself in first service. I was like, what did I just say? So I'm not doing that to her this service. I'm just letting you know, I'm not, I am a smart man and I am not saying that. As she did, she came up to me and she said, She said, I, I, I weigh the most I've ever weighed. i got to lose some weight. Man, you listen close to my response. Maybe you look great. You look fine. You're beautiful. Man, I don't care if you feel otherwise. If you think differently, if you think she does need to lose a few pounds, don't you agree with her at all? Because when you cleave to each other, you create a trust that allows you to be who you really are. And men, let's be honest. Have you looked in the mirror lately? Rocky weighed 170 pounds when we got married. I know you can't tell, but I weigh more than that now. <laughs> and that vulnerability, 
your flaws and imperfections are not judged. They are accepted and celebrated. So what if we don't look like we used to? So she started drinking happy coffee and losing weight. Then she started making me happy coffee, and I thought, wait a minute. (laughs) Speak for yourself, woman. (laughs) In most scenarios, this transparency is, is looked upon as being dangerous and weak, but not in marriage. Because when you're naked and you're not ashamed, creates this strong bond. And I figured this out about cleaving. Cleaving is is, is both, it's a commitment. That day that you say I do, it's a commitment that day, but it doesn't stop there because cleaving is a process that you have to walk out. We just didn't come together and just say, okay, now we're married, now we're one. It is a continued a bonding that has to take place. It's about staying together through the thick and thin, through arguments and through annoyances and through the changing of jobs and through differences of opinion, through having children and through losing children. It's staying together. When you move to new cities where you don't know anyone and and, and when you're in a midlife crisis and when there's changes in appearances and, and even when you find it in the back of your mind that there's an attraction to someone else that's not your spouse and you quickly remind yourself that I'm cleaving to my wife. It doesn't matter what she looks like, what the other woman looks like. It doesn't matter what the, what the man is saying and how he's saying all the right things to, to get in my head and, and to win my heart. I'm cleaving. It's an ongoing process that we just, we stick it out. When, when, when we grow old together, we grow sick and, and whatever else that life throws at us, we just say we're cleaving. We're sticking together. And cleaving requires husbands and wives to stubbornly hold on to the commitments that they've made, the vows that they said in front of God, in front of witnesses. Cleaving says, I'm sticking to this. and Nothing's going to rip us apart. Church, I am praying for this pit bull anointing in our marriages to where we latch on and we don't let go. As Wayne Snellgrove said to me that that just kind of inspired this whole sermon series, I'm praying that God divorce-proofs our church. That these marriages will continue to cleave together. And one thing thing about this that you need to understand, because this... I think sometimes when we hit that, that seven-year itch or, or whenever things aren't good and, and we're just like, I don't, I'm not sure if I can live the rest of my life like this. And, and that comes up. That happens. And listen, I've had those thoughts. I know what that feels like. And the thing that we fail to remember is that time and experience actually strengthen the union between a husband and a wife. There's something to be said about sticking it out. And sticking it out, stuck together, cleaving to one another. 
Because over time, the bond between a husband and a wife becomes stronger. It becomes more powerful. Two who cleave to each other become one flesh. And let me say one more thing about this one flesh deal. Think about this. I don't know if I've ever realized this until recently. But children are literally the one flesh that are produced by the bond of a husband and wife. That is one flesh. They're, they're not just their mom. They're not just their dad. Mom and dad have produced one flesh. And the, the act of cleaving, it's like taking two separate pieces of paper and, and, and spreading super glue all over them and then sticking them together. And once that glue is dry, it is impossible to pull them apart without causing damage. It will rip parts of this paper and, and it will be stuck to this one and parts of this one will be stuck to that one. It's impossible to rip them apart. Think about the damage that is done when you try and rip apart people that are joined together in the eyes of God. And when we rip that apart, there's collateral damage all around us that we don't see, mainly with our children. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you've come from a divorce and, and your kids are having to deal with all of that now. And, and, and if, if God's grace is, is great enough in your life, man, and trust me, it is, you can, you can find this, but you're going to have to figure it all out. You, you may, you might just be able to be cordial with one another. But what if we could avoid all that? And our kids don't become collateral damage just because we don't think we can live together anymore when we need to learn to cleave and to continue cleaving, sticking to one another. And let's be really honest, it doesn't just stop with our kids. There's friends and there's family members that become collateral damage also. I know I'm the youngest of four boys and all three of my older brothers have been through divorces and a couple of them have gone through multiple divorces. And I'm just supposed to not be friends or not even be related anymore to my sister-in-laws once they divorce them? Trust me, this message does not make me popular among my own family. Collateral damage. And the only way that you fix this is you leave, you cleave, and then finally, you weave. I told you last week that you must include another man in your marriage, and his name is Jesus Christ. It's the only way that you'll find the true happiness and the joy that God intended for there to be in, in the marriage. You leave, you cleave, and you weave. Ecclesiastes 4 and 12, Solomon says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer but then he takes it a step farther and he says three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken jesus said it like this in mark chapter 10 in our text today when he said you leave you cleave and then he said what therefore god has joined together let not man separate not that pretty little thing at work not that man that's saying all the right things. It's getting into your ear and making its way into your heart. 
Don't, don't let them separate you. He says, what God has joined together, don't let anyone separate this. Not even you. Even when you think, I cannot go the rest of my life dealing with her or dealing with him. I don't want to live life this way any longer. Jesus said, what therefore God has joined together, you don't even get to separate that. You leave. You cleave. And then you allow God to weave. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.